So we're kind of celebrating a lot today. We have Ascension Day. We have Graduate Recognition Sunday. It's also the seventh Sunday of Easter. And so that means that uh, as it happens, the actual day of Ascension is always on a Thursday because it's 40 days. So I had this choice this, this Sunday about, oh, do I preach on Ascension? Do I talk about graduation? Do I do the seventh Sunday of Easter? The seventh Sunday of Easter went out. So, and so instead of focusing on the first chapter of Acts, I'm going to take us back in time, as it were, to the night of Jesus' last meal with his disciples, as told in the Gospel of John. Now, unlike the other Gospels, uh, John's telling of the Last Supper does not include the bread and the wine that we, that we now know as Holy Communion, but instead relates how Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Following that act in the Gospel of John, over the space of four chapters, Jesus delivers what scholars have come to call the farewell discourse, during which he strives to prepare his disciples, to instruct and prepare his disciples for the hour that has finally arrived, the hour of his betrayal and arrest, his suffering and death, and his resurrection and ascension. His disciples don't understand what he's doing, of course. They have absolutely no idea of what is to come. And so when the time for instruction and exhortation comes to an end, Jesus does one last thing before he and his disciples leave for the garden in which Judas will betray him. Jesus looks up to heaven and he prays. Now this is not the Lord's prayer that we love and know. Often called the high priestly prayer, Jesus' words in chapter 17 are theologically dense, so much so that in the Revised Common Lectionary, uh, this, prayer, this chapter and this prayer is spread out over three years. We're just going to look at one part of it uh, this time. But Jesus is no longer teaching here. He is praying. And as convoluted as his words might seem, they fall into a clear pattern. First, Jesus prays for himself, for he knows what he is about to face. And then he tenderly and lovingly prays for the disciples, for those who have been with him all along and who, though they are sitting at table with him and listening to his prayer, will soon deny and desert him. And finally, he prays for us, for you and for me. Let's listen. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, 
so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Donna. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. That's us, folks. 2,000 years ago, on the night before his death, Jesus was thinking of and praying for us. Each of us here is is here because someone, parents or grandparents, a friend, a pastor, told us about Jesus. And someone before that told them, and someone before that told them, and so on and so on, all the way back to the disciples. Jesus is praying for all of those people, including you and me, here and now. It's pretty amazing. It's just pretty amazing. So for what does Jesus pray? He begins by praying that we all may be one. If that isn't timely, I don't know what is, for in so many ways the church is not unified. But while this is a prayer that is perhaps desperately appropriate for today's church, Lucy Lynn Hogan suggests that on that final night, Jesus' disciples were not particularly unified either. She writes, they were no doubt frightened, uncertain, insecure, scrappy, and squabbling. Peter was petulant, Judas was plotting, and James and John were probably still jockeying for promotions. Did it change after the ascension, she asked? Probably not. Indeed, John Chrysostom, the first century bishop of Constantinople, is said to have commented that if Jesus' disciples would only keep the peace among themselves, the others would, quote, know the teacher by his disciples. There's a reason that Christianity has so many denominations. Disunity has been an issue since the church began. Yet Jesus prays that we may be one. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, he says to God, so that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be completely one. The relationship between the first and second persons of the Trinity, between the Father and the Son, is at the center of this prayer and at the heart of this gospel. John 1.18 states, no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. And the last words of Jesus' prayer echo this. I made your names known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Now, I don't think Jesus is being naive here. I have no doubt that he knew then and knows now just how much trouble we have getting along. But his prayer is not that we might be in total agreement or get along all the, together all the time. It's about our relationship with Christ and through Christ with God. I love the way Matt Skinner restates that last line. 
Jesus is saying, I share this incredible intimacy with the Father, and the purpose for which I have come is so that that same love and intimacy might be something that you are able to participate in as well. This is the hope and the promise of Jesus' prayer that the gift of divine love and intimacy that Jesus shares with his Father might permeate not only our relationship with Christ, but with each other, even in those moments when we don't see eye to eye. Maybe especially in those moments when we don't see eye to eye. I enjoy reading uh, Reverend Janet Hunt's blog when I'm preparing for a sermon, and she writes about uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's classic book, Life Together. If you've never read it, it is actually an amazing document. And she talks about how surprised she was to learn that Bonhoeffer thought of Christian community as a kind of wish dream, an ideal that's not likely or maybe even not possible to realize. She writes, In fact, Bonhoeffer says, you and I have no right or reason to be disillusioned when this community doesn't meet our expectations. For it is somehow in the very experience of this community, not meeting our hopes and dreams, that we finally actually discover our life together. Not because we necessarily like one another or agree with one another, but because of all the ways in which our struggle with each other enables us to see more clearly and to be more grateful for what Christ has done for us. Christ died for these and this and no other. With all our warts, our struggles, our hurts, and yes, sometimes our hurting one another, this is where God put us and this is who God put us with to learn from and grow with. That's pretty challenging. But I think in there somewhere is a blessing. I suspect that most of us have friends who sit on the opposite side of things politically, the other side from us. I know that Don and I do. And and sometimes when we're with a group of friends and talking Politics comes up and things can get a little tense. But Don and I also know that if need be, we could call those same friends at two in the morning and they would be there for us. Guaranteed. Is this not true in our families and in our church as well? Even though we don't always get along, even though we sometimes violently disagree, When we are in relationship with God and Christ, we are there for each other. In fact, uh, Janet Hutt writes, it is in our differences, in our struggles, in our hurts that we encounter and receive, that we encounter and receive God's grace and gift most completely. It is then that I am able to see Christ in my neighbor. It is then that I'm able to be loved in spite of myself. It is then that I know most deeply my own need for God. Perhaps, too, it is in those moments when we struggle to understand one another and, and are able to give and receive forgiveness that we have the opportunity to demonstrate the love of God to the world. So that, that's, that's why the world, Jesus was sent. He says, so that the world might believe that you sent me. 
We need to be careful, however, not to make Jesus' words into a do list, though. This is not a set of instructions or a sermon that Jesus is giving. This is a prayer. So, how do you feel when someone prays for you? Uncomfortable, maybe? Vulnerable? Embarrassed? Honored? Moved? My experience is that we are a lot more comfortable praying for other people than we are having people pray for us. Maybe it's because it makes us the center of attention. And maybe our discomfort arises because of the fact that we have no control over the situation when someone else prays for us. Or maybe it's because we're just not sure how to pray for one another. So today we're gonna do a little experiment. We're gonna practice praying for one another. Um, I've asked Donna to help me with this. She's an experienced uh, prayer warrior, if you will. And so um, we're gonna uh, sort of model for you what I'm talking about, brave soul that she is. Hopefully you will. (laughs) Okay, so what I'm gonna ask Donna to do is share with me in like one sentence, a low moment in her last week and in one, another sentence, a high moment of, her, of the past week. And then I'm going to pray for her. And then we're going to trade off. So Donna, do you have, I'm going to let you have the mic. And you have a uh, low moment from last yeah, week. Yeah, uh, I had a conversation with my sister um, over the week. And she's having some problems. Uh, she's not feeling very well. And she's feeling a, a little bit uh, let down by some people. And... and um, but she will be visiting me in a couple of weeks, so maybe you'll see her. Uh, the bright, moment? One, wonderful moment was yesterday hearing Catherine Parker, and I was uh, grateful that she stayed with me the night before, so I got to know her a little bit better. And I hadn't ever met her before, but she was wonderful, yeah. and it was a great experience. Okay, well then let me, I'm going to pray for you now, Donna. So Donna... As we remember the low and high moments of your life this past week, we pray for your sister, for her needs, for her health, for her uh, concern about relationships with other people. And we pray, I pray also for for you as you uh, listen to her and you support her and you want to strengthen her in that. And I give thanks for the wonderful time that you had with Catherine Parker and for the joy that she brought you as well for all that that she did for us as well and pray that that will continue to be a blessing for you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thank you. So um, my high and low moments are kind of both wrapped up in the same thing. I had, uh, was excited and happy to be prepared for the Wednesday study group that we had because it was a lot of work. Um, And I was gratified to have 17 people come and share in that conversation. And and that was was wonderful. We we actually got through the material I wanted to get through, so that was good. And my low moment was recognizing that I still have some work to do to create safe space um, for people in which to share um, when they disagree with one another. And so um, that was on my heart a lot this week. So that's my high and my low. So. Uh, Lee, um, 
I pray that uh, this um, program that you're offering will continue to go well, even though we have some uncertainty about it. And I pray that you will continue on and not feel that you are not helping others and that, that you are help helping others and that we can all share together with this. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Donna. Appreciate that. Okay. So now it's your turn. Okay. So I want to, this is what I'm going to invite you to do to find someone close nearby, or if you need to, go across the aisle to someone you know, and to sit together, two people, one-on-one, -on -one, and to do exactly that same thing, to share a low and a high moment very briefly, and then to pray for one another, and then to trade off. Now, if you're not comfortable with doing this and someone asks you to do it, you can say, thank you, but I'll pass. You don't have to do this, but if you're willing to give it a try, it may be a good way just to practice doing this so that at some other point in your life or at some point during the week to come and you have a chance and someone comes to you and they're sharing something with you or you need to share something with it where prayer becomes a part of that. So everybody kind of understand what we're doing. So share a high and a low moment with someone else. Could be your spouse, could be a friend, could be a stranger. Um, and then pray for one another. And if you don't want to do it, you can say, thank you, I'll pass. All right, go. I still hear conversation, but I want to, I want to allow that to happen, but also watching time. So if you're still finishing up, that's fine. But I would ask, how was that for you? How was that for you? Hard? Was it difficult? Huh? may have been difficult for some and easy for others. And I would uh, encourage you to think about if this is something that you would be willing to try again with someone else in the church, with a family member, with a friend. Um, last year, we encouraged folks to find a prayer partner with whom they might pray once a week. And I would invite you to consider that possibility again, to find one or two people with whom you would meet and pray, or pray on email, or pray on the phone, or pray by texting, praying for one another, and being prayed for can be a blessing. Um, I, one experience that Don and I have had with this is that we, uh, we attend a pre-retirement workshop every, week, every year just because we like going there and learn, we learn things. And one of the joys is hearing a speaker, Keith Lawrence, who's written a book called Your Retirement Quest. Um, and at one point this past year, he told the group that this was his favorite group to come to. Out of all the traveling he does, this one in the California Pacific Annual Conference was his favorite because a few years ago he had shared that his wife was being treated for cancer and the group had surrounded him and prayed for him. And he's never forgotten that. That has been a blessing for him. And you never know when that blessing might be uh, something that you have to offer or that you need to receive. It is so moving to realize that someone cares enough for you to pray for you. Someone does care for us that much and more. We do not live life alone. For some 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed for us. He's praying for us now. And in his love and by God's grace, as we pray and disagree and forgive and work and love together, we will indeed come to know the unity that Jesus promises us. 
Thanks be to God for that hope and that promise. Amen.